On today's show, I speak with an old friend and leader of a people-driven nonprofit organization that advocates and recruits university STEM students to create innovative technology solutions that improve the quality of life for injured veterans, first responders, and others who have served our nation well. I am fascinated by the amazing work they are doing, as I am sure you will be as well. Participate, engage, speak out. Use your voice to be an effective advocate. The Voices in Advocacy podcast examines the diverse landscape of advocacy, exploring the ins and outs of building influence, driving change, and creating champion advocates. It's now time for the Voices in Advocacy podcast with your host, Roger Rickard. Hello and welcome to season three of the Voices in Advocacy podcast. I'm Roger Rickard, president and founder of Voices in Advocacy, where we work with organizations to inspire, educate, engage, and activate your supporters by turning them into effective, influential advocates. And this is the podcast dedicated to the art of advocacy. This podcast is for the people that work and engage in advocacy efforts. Now, let's get started. On today's show, we speak with Mark Robbins, CAE, IOM, Executive Director of Quality of Life Plus, where he works to give our heroes the support they deserve by connecting injured service personnel with students who develop cutting edge technology to help them achieve a higher quality of life. His extensive career has spanned the nonprofit world, lastly serving as Executive Director for two other nonprofit organizations, including one, that served injured service members and their family. Mark is a graduate of the Institute of Organization Management, a six-year program with the United States Chamber of Commerce. He has also attained his Certified Association Executive, that's the CAE designation. But most importantly, he is a fellow Penn State Nittany Lion. In fact, Mark and I studied political science at the same time at the same school. We go way back, but I promised him that I will not share details of our collegiate days with our audience here today. So there's a little protection umbrella there. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome Mark to today's show. Welcome, Mark. Well, thanks, Roger. It's good to be with you again. It's been a long time. Yes, and it's great to see you and, and to be able to catch up here. Uh, so today we're going to talk about a different type of advocacy from the straight up grassroots advocacy tied to engagement with elected officials. We're going to discuss cause advocacy. And Mark, with that, help people out and tell people about the mission of Quality for Life Plus. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, Quality of Life Plus program, um, the, the, the real gist of it is we take America's brightest students at leading universities, we create, they create life transforming assistive technology for our country's wounded heroes. And that includes uh, veterans, uh, first responders and others who have served our country and our community. It's a, it's a really unique group in that we, we meld together both the needs of our veterans and uh, getting into the world of academia and, and bringing together 
those two parts and, and making things better for our vets and our heroes. How did, how did uh, Quality for Life Plus begin? What's the history behind this? It started in 2009 and uh, the, the founder had worked on, um, uh, he had an extensive background in government and, and uh, military and he just started putting some programs together and started very slowly. And then I'd say a few years later, they just worked with one college at the time. And, and probably about three, four years later, they were able to add on about four more schools. Um, about 2017, they started picking up even more. And now we're up to 19 universities across the country that we work with and uh, have a really broad view of, of all these opportunities within engineering schools uh, to help our wounded heroes. Yeah, and I noticed uh, in doing the research that these universities are coast to coast. I mean, you go from what, San Diego University or San Diego State or San Diego we have, University? We have San Diego State and we come out to the Naval Academy in Annapolis up to Norwich University in Vermont down to University of South Florida, as well as in the middle, we have University of Texas at Austin, UT, San Antonio, uh, Colorado cool. Boulder and Colorado, Colorado School of Mines. Yep. So we have, they're all over and then, and I've probably just upset another handful that I didn't mention yet, but, uh, <laughs> but they're, they're really, uh, you know, very extensive and they're top notch engineering programs, not just with the schools, it's specifically with their schools of engineering is that who we're partnering with. Excellent. Excellent. And the goal then is, well, let me, let me kind of rephrase this. What is the biggest hurdle, if you will, when it comes to matching university STEM students with the needs of those injured uh, uh, heroes, first, uh, first responders, veterans? Yeah, so, sometimes the, the hurdle can just be geography. It's like we may have a, a, a veteran who has a specific need and maybe the partner school we have in that area isn't, that's not their, their, their thing. You know, they, they may not be, have the experience or levels with that. Or we may have somebody we just know who's halfway across the country and said, this is really the match what we want. The school has the resources and facilities, um, but we still, we overcome that. You know, we'll just, we'll get the challenger. We, we call all of our veterans challengers. Uh, we'll put our challenger on a plane and get them there. Uh, now everybody's doing Zoom anyhow, so we can get them talking on a more regular basis. So uh, what became, what were some obstacles and hurdles for us, we actually overcame them um, partly because of the, the increased use of Zoom to help everybody out and, and just be able to have a little bit more interaction. Um, it's great when the when the challenger and the school are in the same neighborhood, but it doesn't always work that way. So the challenger is the person who is in need. The challenger is the person that has something physically that they have to overcome, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's not, yeah. And, and let me, I'll go into a little bit more on that because it's not necessarily they're overcoming in, in our case, we're going to have wounded veterans who, in, in most cases, um, lost limbs due to their service at, in, in war. Um, they may have prosthetic arm, prosthetic hand, prosthetic legs, and they may be, most all of them, the whole key is they want to stay active. They want to keep moving. They want to keep doing things. Um, and sometimes the, uh, the prosthetic limb they have just doesn't allow them to do it efficiently. And I'll give you a, just a quick example. A real simple thing is we had somebody who um, 
they had a prosthetic arm and, and hand, uh, but they were big into weightlifting. Well, they couldn't lift with the bar with their, with their prosthetic. So we just created a special hand grip that will just kind of go right over the bar itself so that they can grab and grab the bar that way and then they do their lifting. So that's one of the simplest things that we've done, but um, that's an that's a easy example of, of the kind of work that they're looking to get done. And, and to the name of the organization, that increases the quality, quality of life, life for that individual because they're able to go back to doing the things that they love uh, in a way that they did in the past. How did you come up, or if you know this, huh, how did you come up with the challenger name? Why did you choose that? Well, that, that was what we, as we're looking at the perspective of the students we wanted to reach, uh, we said, look, we have a challenge for you. We have that, you know, we want to get something done and we want you to help us. And in this case, we're asking these college engineering students to look at the problem, assess solutions, make a design and build the end product and make it work with the, with the challenger and, and, uh, and so they can go on with the, the activities they want to pursue. So are certain schools equipped to deal with certain uh, lifestyle limitations uh, or, uh, you know, I'm not sure how to word that other than. Yeah, mo most of them, I would say most of them, in honesty, are probably um, pretty well equipped to do whatever is necessary. Now, we may have something that's a little bit more geared toward biomechanics as opposed to or bioengineering just as opposed to just mechanical engineering. So there may be some little okay. distinctions like that. Um, and I'll be honest, I'm not on the engineering side. So uh, they may know more about that than I do. But um, for the most part, you know, the schools we're working with are really well equipped um, on, on all levels of engineering and, and they, they pretty much can cover everything we do. So is there one example of something real? You gave the example of the weightlifter. Can you think of another example off the top of your head of, of something that I think our listeners could relate to that has been done for one of the challengers? Um, here, I, I have a couple for you. One, one is one that we're just f finishing up now where the service member was so severely injured. Um, well, I'll, I'll go back half a step. He was injured, but he still likes to ride his bike and he has a recumbent bike, but not just on regular paved paths. He wants to go into onto the trails. So he doesn't mind a little jostling and, and, and moving around. Um, except when he does that, his injuries are so severe. When his head gets jostled, he actually passes out. I mean, it, it just, it just a, a bone hits an artery and cuts supply and he'll pass out. So what our uh, engineering students did is they actually created a headrest to support the head in such a way so that when he gets jostled, he can still continue on and it doesn't uh, move the body parts. It shouldn't be moving. And it really is a, uh, a remarkable thing that they've been able to do. And he's back on the trails. He rides his bike, he keeps going, and he's, he's living the life he wants to live with the limitations he ended up with, but he's doing more. And because of our, our program, he was able to uh, succeed in that. You know, that has to be so satisfying, not just from the standpoint of being able to accomplish what you want to accomplish, but, but the reaction that you probably get from the challenger, the reaction that you probably get from the students that achieved something, the pride that comes from that, 
it just sounds like the whole way around the circle, there's wins everywhere. It is. It's a high five day for everybody on stuff like this. Um, let me give you another example, Roger, that uh, one that I really like. They're working on it now, but um, it's for a blind veteran. And he wants to go downhill skiing. And right now, you usually you're tethered by rope to another skier and they help guide you down and tell you where to turn and all that. Well, they wanted to come up with something that didn't have them tethered to the guide. And so what they're doing is they're creating a vest that they can wear underneath their ski gear um, that has sensors. And when and they'll still go down with a guide, but now the guide will have uh, a, a, a remote to press buttons to let the um, skier know what which way they should turn. So they're just getting you know buzzes on this on this their side to let them know what direction to go, left, right. Let them know there's a downhill and, and all that. And so it just gives a little extra piece of freedom that they thought they were missing because. They're, they're a blind skier. And now, you know, it's just, it's just one more piece of that puzzle and just gives them a better day. So we always shoot for that one more better day. And I, I feel good that we're able to do that for so many. God, that, that sounds so exciting and, and so much fun, but I do have a warning. Please do not share that technology with my wife or <laughs> I will be, you know, told to go left and right all the time. And I, uh, I, I don't think I, I need that at this point. That I mean, the day may come that I may need that, but but not at this point. That's fabulous work, though. That's that's cool stuff. So, other I mean, I'm going to ask this, but I think I already know the answer to it. But I, I want to ask it: What's in it for the students as well as the schools? The 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 way the program is set up, um, and most of the schools have this already is they have senior capstone projects that their engineering students need to go through. This becomes a piece of that capstone. Um, so it actually becomes an added class and an added opportunity for them. So the schools are getting, you know, one more opportunity to do something new and different for their students. And, and so they like that. Um, the, uh, the students themselves are just going on, they're doing something so creative, things that have never been done or made or asked for. And so the uniqueness of it has them thinking harder and harder about how can I, how can I make this work for somebody? Um, but the next step that I really like is that they're not just doing it for somebody. They're doing it for a person they get to meet, someone who served in the military, someone who, uh, and this really goes down to the line of people who, whether you're pro-military or not pro-military, um, these are people who volunteered to serve suffered injuries because of that, experienced things most of us never have or will. And you realize these people deserve so much of our thanks and appreciation. And it, it's just that, that moment there, you realize I'm really helping somebody who did something extraordinary. Uh, I, was, I was visiting uh, the students at Virginia Tech a few weeks ago, and they're probably about 40 or so. And I said, how many of you have had um, interactions with veterans or the military prior to your working on the projects here. And I would say about less than half to raise their hands. And to me, that was a success because it wasn't just those interested in the military who were helping those in the military. It was, it was opening up a whole nother world to people who hadn't had any interaction. And so I think it just gives another layer 
of appreciation for the, uh, the work that's done and the sacrifices that are made and that the students get to do, like I said, build something that's so different that uh, you know, they can really put a stamp on it and realize they did something great today. Fabulous. I, uh, it made me think of, I think, I, and I'm gonna have to paraphrase this quote from one of your challengers that talked about the fact that the students thought so far outside of the box uh, that that kind of just thrilled that person and, and thrilled the students from a standpoint of, we get to do something that maybe nobody ever, yeah. ever has done before. You know, they, they don't know how smart they are. They're brilliant. Uh, I mean, we're, you're, you're talking about uh, engineering students who are, are very bright and, uh, you know, they're in their senior year. So they've gotten a great, obviously a great foundation from their previous three years at their university. Um, but they're tough, they're tough uh, curriculums to go through. And, and uh, you know, by the time they get to their senior year, they really are sharp. And, uh, you know, it's, it's nice for me to be able to be part of that side as well. I always like the the uh, academic side of things, and it really is a, a big plus. How do you raise money for Quality for Life Plus? We, uh, the usual means, I guess, uh, corporations, foundations, uh, individual donations. We don't do anything with uh, government funding. Uh, we do work with the government, certainly the military, on identifying challengers. Um, but in, as for fundraising itself, we've been very successful in going after a lot of. Uh, uh, companies would like to be associated with us and individuals who just see the need and, and feel they can contribute a little bit to help out uh, and, and foundations where we might fit their, um, you know, their goals and what they set for what they're trying to do. So we're always looking for those opportunities to, um, you know, find those organizations that say, you know, we, we want to help the military. We feel that's really important. They have others who say, we want to help STEM students. We want to help the, you know, that group. So when I can pull those two together, that's magic because that's really what we're looking for. And they're the kind of supporters we're looking for as well. Well, let me make a plug for you then. If there's anybody out there listening that fits those needs or just knows and realizes that what the needs of our, our first responders and veterans have been in the past and want to help, uh, you'll be given an opportunity at the, uh, at the end of this interview uh, to, to know where to go to be able to help this organization and the great work that they're doing, combining both the students, uh, well, combining the universities and the students, as well as our heroes. Uh, is personal storytelling, I mean, we know, you know, from an advocacy standpoint, personal storytelling is always incredibly important. Uh, do you feel that, that that's also important to you when you're out there trying to raise money? or whether you're trying to attract more schools to participate uh, in your program? Yeah, always the personal story is, is the best. Um, you know, I, I, I've spent a lot of time, actually, I just started with Quality of Life Plus um, in July. So I'm still the new guy on board um, and I'm still learning all the great personal stories that are out there and getting them from my staff and meeting some of the challengers and, and the students and all. But as we all know, this, the story is what holds you in there and, and gives you a greater understanding of what the mission is. And when I can tell a story about getting a blind skier down the slopes or even something even more mundane in some ways as, uh, uh, you know, just a hand to help lift a, a barbell, um, 
one of our challengers said, you know, they're outside all the time in their wheelchair and they come back and it's a mess and the, the wheels are filthy and they don't want to track it all through the house. Our, our challenge, I mean, our uh, students came up with a way to just clean the wheels as they wheel it back inside the house and have a little mechanism there to clean it off and, and keep the place nice. So it's, it's everyday stuff that works. Um, you know, some of the, some of the other neat things, and, and this is another good story I like to share is, um, uh, one of our groups put together a, um, worked with Paralympic bobsledders and because they may have prosthetic arms or legs, they can't push the bobsled from the start, like, a, a, you know, able-bodied person can. So what they'd created was a launcher. And basically you just get the Paralympic athletes inside the, the uh, bobsled, and then the launcher will just push them down and, and start their ride down the, uh, the course. The key to that though, it's not just as simple as launching it. It has to be consistent so that every bobsled is pushed at the same rate and they were able to get their launcher to work at 98% consistency, which is you can't get much, much better than that. And so these are stories that people can relate to. They understand. They, they watch the Olympics. They see bobsledding. They understand Paralympics. They see the limitations they have. But if you can relate that story and say, you know, here, we built something that's used up at uh, the, the training center in Lake Placid. That's a pretty cool thing to do. I think that's, I think that's great. Um... You know, in your, throughout your professional career, you've worked for a few different organizations. How has that developed your understanding of how to effectively be an advocate for Equality for Life Plus? I think, you know, I've had an opportunity to work in many different sectors through, through nonprofit work, uh, whether it was with construct, construction subcontractors, manufacturers, homeowner associations, um, you know, the for-profit college world, I was in that for a little while. These are all things I've, I've kind of picked up little pieces throughout my career. Um, and going back to our, our college days, being liberal arts majors and political science majors, you just want to learn something about everything. And so you end up learning all these different aspects of what goes on in the world around you. And by the time you're getting to the, uh, where I am in, in, you know, leading nonprofit organizations and charities, you're out there meeting people who come from all sorts of backgrounds. You now have something to talk about. You can always pull out a story that, that they can relate to. They can always come up with something that, you know, you care about, or you learned about, or you know about. And it's just a lot of fun to do that and make that personal connection with, with the supporters that uh, want to help you and your cause. Excellent. You, uh, and, I, and I fully agree with you. I mean, a, a life well-lived and full and robust gives us the opportunity to, to be able to almost have any conversation with anybody anywhere. Uh, do any of the past challengers get involved either to help recruit uh, other challengers, the heroes uh, that are kind of in the same boat as them in one way or the other? Uh, or do they also help in fundraising or any other advocacy activity for you? They, they're really good with uh, getting additional challengers. They, they, they have their... Um, they have their community. They understand a lot of them, particularly the ones post 9-11, all went through Walter Reed. And uh, there, there's a big connection there. And we have some uh, good friends who work over there. They got to help actually um, uh, uh, 
recommend some challengers to us that we can reach out to and say, hey, we understand you have a, something you'd like to improve. We can work on that. Let's talk and see if it fits into what uh, we can do for you. And so, yeah, it's really great to be able to have those sort of interactions. And, and uh, a lot of the challengers will try to stay in touch also with their schools because sometimes uh, what was made, um, maybe it fails after a little bit or they need to tweak it or they need to improve it or they say, hey, I really need to improve it and they, and they make it a new project. So there's all sorts of ways that we can do that. And, and uh, uh, it's a grateful group and we're, we're happy to have them. All right. Sounds like uh, time to go in to get a tune-up, huh? Yeah, exactly. And, and with prosthetics, if you've been around them at all, they always need tuned up, whether they're your standard arm legs uh, hands, there's always something. They're they're mechanical, so uh, something will get stretched out or or twisted, and you're always looking for some improvements there. And that's just uh, you know that's a that's that's kind of um, you know just just the way life goes. You're we're all we're all beating ourselves up in one way or another. Need a little tweak. So this this show is about the art of advocacy, and I wanted to get across today that there are different types of advocacy and. Uh, the bucket that I would kind of put you in and, and the Quality for Life Plus is, is the cause bucket of advocacy, that there's, there's the cause organizations out there that try to fix a problem and serve other people uh, in it. And I, and I like the term that was used early on about this is a people-driven organization with that. So my question is, What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of advocacy? Education. I think advocacy is educating people about, um, about your cause, your mission. Talk about the, the, the end result, which is, in our case, helping veterans and helping college engineering students. Um, I think it's a, it's a powerful combination for us. But I can say in any of the uh, organizations I've been with in the past that um, it's always about education and letting them know, and, and whether it's letting the lawmaker know, the, the staffer on the Hill, or your donors, you're always trying to be an educator and let them know, this is where we need to move to next and here's why. And you know, hopefully you have enough people who see it your way and, and keep moving in a, in a, in a positive path, uh, path. That's right. There's a diversity of stakeholders it can be influenced by the fact that you can educate them on what matters. You're, you're, you're absolutely right when it comes to that. What's your biggest challenge in leading an organization? Uh, is it time? Is it kind of staff bandwidth? Is it something else? Or Well, being in my position, it's always fundraising is always the biggest challenge because that's, that, that keeps the, uh, keeps the trains running, as I say, but um I would say now the, the organization went virtual last about this time last year. So we don't have an office and we all work from our homes. So I have people scattered across the country and we're pretty good. We'll, we pick up the phone, we call, we text, uh, you know, we have our Zoom meetings and all that, but it's really, you know, staying in touch and, and having that opportunity to share ideas when they come up. So you're not doing it across the hall from your office anymore. Uh, you actually have to make an effort and, and do that. So I would say in, in real life for me, it's, it's really the staying in touch with the staff to make sure that uh, we're all in the same, going in the same direction 
We all have the resources that are necessary. If they get bogged down, I don't want them just kind of sit there and, and worry about it and not do anything about it. I want them to, you know, get back to, to me and to find the solutions and we'll pull it all together. And I'd say the group I have here at Quality of Life Plus is phenomenal. Uh, they have great experience. Some are veterans themselves. Others have worked within with veterans in the past. Um, they just really is a, they really are a good group and uh, and very knowledgeable. They've actually helped bring me along a lot, so uh, I appreciate it from that end. But it really is a um, you know I, I think the times we're in where everything is virtual, it just takes more effort to make sure everybody's on track. Um, but that's the effort that's worth making because that's that'll that'll keep you healthy. And it also can provide you with different opportunities too, as as time time goes. Uh, from a personal standpoint, what do you what is the best professional tip you've ever received in your career? People want to give, and and I, I had a, a really um, very supportive donor at a, at a past organization. And he says, you know, he says, I know a lot of people like me. And he says, we all have the capacity to give and, and even give more. He says, they just don't know where to turn to or where to go. And our job, I mean, the message to me is that's our job. That's our job to get out there in front of people and say, listen, we have a really great program that's going to help a lot of people. Can you help support this? And give them a reason why. Because they do want to give. They want to support. They want to feel good about it. They want to make sure their money is going to something that's worthwhile, something that speaks to them. Not everybody wants to support a group like ours, and that's okay. But I know there's a big group of people who do, and I just want to get a slice of that pie and make sure we're all you know, meeting our needs. But you know, everybody has their own cause and their own needs. Um, I think what we're doing with uh, college engineering students and first responders and veterans uh, is, is something that a lot of people can get behind and, and we've been able, able to show that. But I think more than anything, it's, it's that one, one person who said to me, people want to give, and then we just have to figure out how to, how to get them in front of us. Great tip. And boy, you didn't hesitate to pull that out. So and that was not pre-planned either. You know? Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm well aware of that one, Mark. I, there's some things I just don't want to share. Uh, Time flies uh, when I do these, and, and I find myself where I, I, I could spend a lot more time talking to people like yourself who are so well-versed, so uh, well-communicative uh, about the issues that you care about, the passion that you put to the work that you do. Is there any final thought or anything you'd like to add today? You know, like I said, I, I think what we do is so different out there in the world of helping veterans. Um, you know, here we are in November and everybody focuses on Veterans Day uh, and, and rightfully so. I'm glad that we do. Uh, but our students and our challengers, they get to focus on veterans every day uh, year round. And it really is a, a, a great opportunity to, to thank those who have served us. Uh, who, who put their lives on the line. And I think if we can just turn around and give them another few good days, I think then we're doing our job and we're providing something that no one else is. And so I think what Quality of Life Plus does is really reaches out a, to a really unique group of people who are very much in need, um, but we can improve their day. And if we can do that, then we've succeeded. Excellent. How can people uh, reach out to help 
Quality for Life Plus uh, and get more information. Just go to our website. It is QLplus, spelled out, QLPLUS.org. Uh, go to our website. There's always a donate button on the top of the page. I'm more than happy to have you hit that and, and go through that. But, but look through it. Look through and see some of the challengers. See some of the projects that we've worked on. Look at some of the students. Uh, I think you'll be really impressed. I will, I will put that in the, uh, the show notes so that people can click on that link and, and go from there. You know, Mark, it was, A, it was great to catch up. I know the work that you've done in other organizations. We've had those conversations uh, in the past. I was always proud uh, of the work that you do and how you do it. And this organization fits your personality to the T. They've got to be grateful to have you there uh, as well as the challengers and the, and the school students. And my hat's off to you for the quality work that you do and where you'll, where you'll take this organization down the road. Thanks, Roger. And, and congrats to you. You're doing great stuff with your podcasts and, and the work you do. Um, it, it's great to catch up and, and uh, reconnect. So um, we'll, we'll do it more often. Not necessarily here, but we'll do it more often. I, I, I agree with that, Mark. Thanks so much for being on the show today, and I wish you all the best. Thanks. Let's face it, today's advocacy arena is just plain noisy. Organizations are stretched. You need every advantage to make sure your issue gets the attention it deserves and your voice heard. The RAP Index is the best way to do just that by finding your stakeholders' relationships and engagement power. Get past the noise. Know who your people know. Go to rapindex.com. That's rapindex.com and tell them Roger sent you for a special offer. If you like today's podcast, head over to where you find your podcasts and subscribe to the Voices in Advocacy podcast. A big thank you to today's guest. I appreciate your time and the unwavering passion for advocacy you have. Well, that's it for this episode of Voices in Advocacy. Remember, you have the power to be an effective, influential advocate. Now go out and make it a better world. We hope you enjoyed today's Voices in Advocacy podcast and look forward to you joining us again next week. To learn more about Voices in Advocacy, go to our website, voicesinadvocacy.com.